You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown, a podcast about love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak, and today we're consciously uncoupling privates. That's right, we are getting the 411 on divorce, prenups, and how to architect your happily ever after from a divorce attorney who knows a thing or two about what she's talking about. And hopefully after hearing this wisdom and learning these tricks of the trade, you can avoid divorce in the first place. Hi, my name's Renee Bauer. I am a 20-year divorce attorney, author, speaker, and founder of The Tarot Bridge, and I love hyping women up to see their greatness inside of them. You have been a divorce attorney for 20 years. Did you always want to be a divorce attorney? What set you on that career path? So I actually had no intentions of being a divorce lawyer. Um, I wanted to go to uh, Washington and be a lobbyist. Oh. So, which is right because, and so I was like, all right, if I'm going to go to grad school and spend more time in school, I might as well just get my law degree. And then I'll take that and go to DC. And it's so funny because I look back at that. I'm like, had I done that, I would have been like chewed up and spit out. Like I have a tough skin. I don't have like that level of toughness. So um, when I got out of law school, I started practicing and I ended up at a firm where they did a lot of family stuff, but they also did criminal defense and they did some other stuff and no one liked doing family law. So they would kick all of their family law cases to me, the new girl. Uh And I found that I really loved it. And I'm like, wow, there's an opportunity here to help people who are going through probably one of the most difficult times in their life. And like, I can help them on the other side. So it was part social work and I never looked back. It just felt like a really good fit. Oh, nice. Okay. So then in your personal life, this has been relevant too, right? You've had a couple of divorces and tell me how, I guess, those relationships played out. And then how did you go into your third marriage to set yourself up for success? Yeah. Um, so the, I, when I started practicing divorce law, I was not divorced. I was married and didn't have any divorces under my belt at that time. And I married someone who I met in college, who is the father of my son. And we have a wonderful co-parenting relationship. My son's going to be off to college soon. Oh wow! But that was, you know, that was like a young relationship where neither of us really knew who we were and our place in the world. And I call that kind of an uncoupling that happened. And then I found myself in a second relationship that was so ill-fitting. This was the one that was like the doozy for me. And it was this wake up call to say like, hey, if I'm going to ever end up in another relationship and not end up in this cycle, I need to get really clear on what it is that I want, what it Uh is that I need. I need to be able to communicate that. And that was before I even decided to, before I even met my current husband. But let me tell you, like the shame around those two divorces was so intense. Mm -hmm. And while I was a divorce lawyer and I showed up every day and I did the job and I talked the talk, it was really, really hard for me personally to actually walk that walk and talk about it in a way that didn't have shame attached to it. And it took a long, long time. It actually took going on someone else's podcast 
um, to start to chip away at that. And a good friend of mine has a podcast and she told me, she's like, let me, I never listened to podcasts. I didn't have my own at the time. She's like, come on. She's like, I'll show up. We'll have sushi. We'll have some drinks. It's all good. And I'm just going to ask you some questions. And I was like, sushi. Okay. <laughs> and so she, yeah, that's what it takes. Right. So she clips the mic on me and starts talking about my divorce. And I never expected that. And for the first time ever, I answered it so honestly. Oh. And after that, I started to get bombarded with messages of women saying, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for talking about it. And I realized I cannot hide from this anymore. I need to really be open and talk about it because how can I help other people when I'm not willing to kind of face all of that, those feelings that I have, because they have them too. So I was doing such a disservice to my clients by not talking about it. And then when I went into my third marriage, everyone told my husband he was crazy, you know, marrying a divorce <laughs> lawyer, but we went into it and we were so clear on who we were. We were so clear on the lessons that we learned from the previous relationships. Mm -hmm. We had both done the work individually and we took our time and didn't rush our, our dating. And um, we've been together uh, 10 years now. And so we figured it out, you know, and it doesn't mean that like everything's perfect all of the time, but we figured out how to have healthy communication and healthy conflict. And that really is the key. Oh, yes. So I feel like, I mean, I didn't get married to my early partners, but if I would have, I would have for sure like gotten divorced for the same reasons that you're talking about just like immaturity or not being the right fit you know and you evolve as people and you realize you're totally going in a different direction so yeah i think a lot of people can relate to that even if they didn't you know consummate those relationships early on and i also think on the talking about it point i have the same thing like my biggest shames around, you know, my abortion and things like that. It's like the more I talk about it, the more I get this continuity of character where I'm like right. owning my whole self. And it's so powerful to reclaim that. And what I love about that is though, like you have a platform to talk about something that you know, there's so many other women out there who are experiencing what you're feeling and they don't have the place or the voice or even feel like they can even talk to girlfriends about it. Yeah. And you bring that to them. And when, and every time we take something that's so hard for us and we kind of throw ourselves to the wolves and say, here we are, here I am. And you're vulnerable. Like you're helping people that we don't even realize that who are listening. We're saying, I just needed to hear that. I feel that way too. And it's okay. Yeah, totally. So what are the most common reasons from your clients that you hear about? Like, why are people getting divorced? Yeah, it's not infidelity. Um, and really? everyone thinks that that's the thing, like that's the thing that happens after the fact. So I think what happens is what you see is a disconnection because any connected couple can work through anything, right? Because there's road bumps and, and, and challenges along the way. And you have a couple who's truly connected, then they work through that. But when disconnection happens, that's when everything starts to fray and unravel. And so that disconnection is both emotional, it's both vulnerability, it's physical, it's, you know, it's all of the things where then you start, like you hear people say, I feel like we're living as roommates, Yeah, you know, and that's just not in the bedroom too. Like that's on every aspect. And once that starts to happen, sometimes people 
you know, depending on what they need and who they are, they're craving connection. And then what they do is they take that outside. They look for that connection somewhere else because they just feel like there's something missing in their life. And so a lot of times people are like, well, my spouse had an affair and that's why our marriage broke down. And I'm like, no, that's not why. That's how you ended up here. And uh -huh. that was the catalyst to go to a lawyer. But things have been, uh, you know, fallen apart for a long, long time before then. And sometimes people will see that and other times they'll, they'll say, well, no, I was blindsided. But if mm -hmm. you really hold the mirror up to what that relationship was and kind of peel it back, it's like, no, things started to unravel a really long time ago and they weren't paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey privates, boo boo, privates with penises, I'm talking to you. <laughs> Our sponsor Fleshlight can help you reach new heights with your self-pleasure. And that is because Fleshlight is the number one selling male sex toy in the world. And they don't just leave you hanging over there. At Fleshlight, you can explore sex toys with expert guides and advice, especially if you're a beginner or you're looking to level up. If you have been listening to the show for a while, you know how I feel about self-pleasure and it is very, very good. And I definitely endorse using sex toys. I have a lot of fun with sex toys myself. So with the Fleshlight Girls series, you can embrace your wildest porn star fantasies with a different porn actress every night. What? With the variety of models, sensations, and intensities, you can live out limitless fantasies. And you can automate your fantasies with a universal launch that fits most Fleshlight products. With its innovative touch control system, just set the controls, sit back, and enjoy. And you have pleasure right in your hands. Your pleasure is in your complete control. And as the ultimate male pleasure device on the market, it's as versatile as you are. Anatomical, stamina building, vibrating, or made for couples, you name it. You define your luxury moment. And I just want to say, if you have any shame around sex toys, please don't. It is so much better than being weird with girls because you feel kind of desperate or whatever. Fleshlight just allows you to chill out, wait for the right girl when she comes, and in the meantime, you know you are going to be getting yours and having a good time. So you don't even have to sweat it. And right now, Fleshlight is offering Private Parts Unknown listeners 10% off your order with our code PRIVATE10. So you just go to ppupod.com. That's the website, ppupod.com. You click Fleshlight and you use the promo code PRIVATE10 to get 10% off your delicious new device. Again, that is ppupod.com and enter code PRIVATE10 and it really helps support the show. It helps support yourself and your own sex drive. So go ahead and use the link in the episode description. We can all be horny together. We can keep this podcast going. So get yourself a flashlight and get yourself off. So, I mean, money is a big stressor mm -hmm. in relationships. I mean, maybe 
number one. I don't know. (laughs) How can you avoid that financial drama and disconnection or unequal playing fields in your relationship? Money's a huge one. And if people can get in front of that before it becomes a problem, that's always the best way. And that's having those conversations before you even walk down the aisle. Mm -hmm. It's like having conversations about who are you in relation to money? So a lot of times, you know, you have someone who's the saver and then you have maybe someone who's the spender and the saver is going to feel so unsafe when their credit card bills are piling up yeah. because you have the person who's the spender who likes to have experiences and they're like, oh, I'll deal with the, I'll deal with the debt later on. And so, you know, that causes a lot of conflict in a house. So it's getting before you even get to that point where you're tangling up your finances or walking down the aisle, is figuring out who are you and what's your relationship to money. So then you can start to set some guidelines and be like, okay, if I'm a saver, it's going to make me feel really safe. If I know that we're putting money into our retirement and then the spender is going to be like, yeah, but I want to feel like I'm living a little bit. So you can start to carve out like, okay, what's the appropriate amount of money. So both people feel like their concerns are being met and it goes right back to communication. It's, you know, the communicating over money and never, ever, ever, letting someone be the sole person who handles all the money, which happens all of the time. You always have someone who's like, they're the bill payer. They're the one who does, does that. And the other person's like, well, I'm in the dark. I don't know. I just deposit my money. So both people should be actively involved in the finances, understanding what's going in, having separate credit cards, which some Mm -hmm. people will push back and be like, well, there's no trust then. That's not what it's about. Like you can have joint, but you should also have separate too. establishing your own separate credit, you know, having that joint account to pay bills, but also having access to your own money. So it's really not avoiding the money conversations that people like to avoid because they're uncomfortable. People don't want to have it. It's not fun. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So do you think, I mean, people should have separate like checking accounts and those kinds of things too? I think everyone should have separate and you can also have joint. So, you know, you can have your joint accounts where you agree that X amount of money is going to get put in there and maybe all the bills get paid from there. You have your joint credit card that you agree how it's going to get used. But I think it's so important to also have separate. I think you have to have some level of financial autonomy Mm -hmm. from your partner. And, you know, it's so often that someone will come in and say that I don't have access to hire a lawyer because it's not my money or it's all in a joint account that I don't have access to. It's so common. And I never want someone to make a decision because of money, because they don't have it or access to it. Like you want the decision to be made from a place of, okay, this is aligned for me. This is what is the right thing, but I can't do something because I don't have that. So it's always a good idea to have that, that separate. And then the, the pushback will be, well, you're just setting the person up for divorce. No, you're setting each person up to feel like they're powerful and empowered in their mm-hmm. relationship. And like, I mean, think about it this way. If you want to remove the doom and gloom aspect of it, you buy gifts for each other. Don't you want to do that from your own accounts where the other person's not seeing what's going on and how much you're spending and what you're getting and all of that. So it Mm -hmm. just gives you that ability to do that, to shop, to do whatever it is um, that you want to do that you may not want your spouse necessarily to see. And I don't mean that and like, you know, not see because you're doing something secret, but like gifts and things like that. Yeah, totally. So I guess on the prenup front, how does that factor in and what's your advice on that? 
should people get prenups? Does that mean you think it's going to inevitably end? You hear the most lawyers will be like, everyone needs a prenup now all the time. Everyone needs it. And I have a different position on that. I think it depends. So if you have two mid to late 20 year olds who are getting married young and they're coming in with nothing more than student loans, you probably don't need a prenup. Uh If you have a couple who's going into their second or third marriage and there's kids from their marriages and there's assets that they've each built up, you probably want a prenup. So I think it really depends. Um, sometimes you'll see someone who has a lot, like they're, they're part of a trust, a family trust, and you know they, they want to protect that. So there's circumstances like that. But I don't think everyone needs a prenup. And I think it's also important to know what the law is in your state. So in I'm in Connecticut, and in this state, it's you, you come in with what you have, and then when you leave, the baseline is kind of what you came in with. So then you can start to look at, all right, I came in with, say, $100,000 in retirement. Well, that gets removed from the pot of gold once we're, if we're getting divorced. And so now we're just looking at what has accumulated during the marriage. So that also factors into and whether your state is like that or your state just says everything each of you has is all is all part of it. So those are important conversations to have an understanding to have. I'm just curious if you know the deal. I mean, I always hear California is a community property state and I sort of know what that means. But do you have any can you shed light on that? Yeah, so that's exactly that's exactly the situation that I would be talking about here. So I don't know how California works in terms of what they do. I think you see a lot of prenups in California because of the celebrity and the wealth uh-huh. that happens out there. So I think that you see that. But that's that similar concept of if it's community property of if you're exiting the marriage, you're going to start at the you know day one of the marriage and look at everything that's accumulated during then and separate out what has been accumulated in assets before. And then people will often say, well, yeah, but we lived together for five years before. It doesn't matter. It's the date of the marriage is the date that starts everything, not like a common law marriage. People like to say like, well, we have a common law marriage. It doesn't exist in the eyes of the law in terms of dividing assets. Oh, really? That's so interesting because it's always framed as if it does matter or, you know, that is part of it. I know. And it doesn't. Good to know. Okay. So let's say a listener's marriage isn't good and they've realized they got to get out. What is your best starting out on the divorce path advice? Education first. So I think that the most common piece of discomfort and overwhelm from divorce is just not knowing not mm-hmm. knowing how the process works, not knowing what they're entitled to. So the first part is is educating yourself. Have a consultation with a few attorneys. I usually say don't stop at one, at least get two different consults because every lawyer has a different style and you wanna make sure you have the right fit for you. Just because someone said, oh, this person's a pit bull and hire him does not mean that that's the right attorney for you because maybe you don't want a pit bull. Mm-hmm. Maybe you want someone who's going to help you mediate and do this smoothly so you can co-parent on the other side. So meet with a couple attorneys so that you can pick one and then start educating yourself on what the process in your state looks like, whether um, how assets get divided, 
and start reading on that and then finding a community of people um, that really are going through it and understand as well. There's a ton of them out there. There's divorce coaching programs. Like I have a private Facebook group. Like there's a ton of that. So just find your little community so you feel supported because, you know, we have friends that we like to go to, but sometimes our friends may get tired of hearing it because we're the person that's there for them. Mm -hmm. But at some point they're not the counselor you know, and um, there's so many people who are in those stages of divorce and actually really get it. So it's finding those people and surrounding yourself. So you don't feel like you're, you know, losing your mind or it's so upsetting. It's the worst thing that ever happened to you. At least you can, can talk to other people and they can say, well, I feel the same way too. And then other people can say I did too. And now I'm on the other side. So there's hope. Yeah. So I had a friend that was going through this and mentioned that they got advice to hire a, a PI. And I thought that that sounded so extreme. So I guess what are circumstances under which mm -hmm. you would like why you would want to hire a private investigator? Um, I, you know, and I'm thinking back on even my firm, we haven't used a PI in a really, really long time. The last time we used one was to actually track somebody down mm. um, who owed a lot of money in child support. So PI to prove infidelity, eh, you know, it really depends on the state that you're in and how much weight that the judges give to infidelity because some judges will say, okay, if infidelity happened, fine, but that doesn't impact what happens to the financial piece mm -hmm. of the divorce and things have to get divided anyway. And just because someone had an affair doesn't mean that the other person is necessarily going to get that much more. Mm -hmm. They still have to divide up the pie in a fair way. Um, and every state has some sort of like fair and equitable division, you know, and what's fair, what's equitable, the judge gets to decide that. But if you really feel like your spouse is having an affair and you want to get to the bottom of it, that's when you would use a PI. We've used some level of investigative services to uncover financial assets. Mm -hmm. um, but you would, you would do that in collaboration with the forensic accountant and figure out, okay, what do we think that that person's hiding and how do we uncover that? And then again, if you're trying to track someone down because you don't know where they live, which that's, you know, usually a rare circumstance, but I usually more times than not would say to someone, don't spend the money on a PI because you'll, they'll start at probably five grand mm -hmm. and the information that they get may not move the needle at all on the other side. So it's like, you know, what's the return of that on that investment? You know, take that right. 5,000 and maybe put it in a college fund for your kids. But if you're just trying to get the gotcha moment, it may not be worth it. Yeah. That's an interesting point that you bring up though about hidden assets. So what if you are worried that someone is is hiding assets and and maybe a lot of assets, you know, especially if you're dealing with like a financially savvy person, how do you deal with that? So there's always a paper trail for most things. Part of the divorce process is you have to exchange financial info. You have to exchange, they call it discovery. So you're exchanging bank statements and credit card statements and tax returns and all the things. So your lawyer 
if they decide that something looks like something fishy is going on. And usually it's like, if you have someone who's not a W2 wage earner, mm -hmm. um, W2, like you can follow the money. They get right. paid, the money goes in, like that's easy. But if you have someone who runs a business and you feel mm -hmm. like there's something funny going on, your lawyer would have a conversation to say, okay, are we gonna bring in a forensic accountant to try to uncover all of that? And then they would dig in and wade through all of the finances and try to link and connect. And at some point you can see money going out somewhere, money coming in, like there's always, unless someone's stashing cash under a mattress, which is, you know, it happens, but you know, I don't think I've ever seen someone stashing such huge quantities that it, it made a difference in anything, but I have seen money across in other countries, money being, you know, sent out there. Mm -hmm. So you would get someone involved who is a professional who can track that down and see that there's some sort of money out there. Now, everyone is supposed to disclose everything. That's part of when you go to court, you sign something saying that you did. So when you don't disclose something, it's a huge risk because if the judge or the lawyer does uncover, if, if the lawyer uncovers that there's assets being hidden, the judge is not going to take lightly to that. And I've seen judges come down so hard and take those assets and transfer 100% of it to the other side because oh, wow. they're not having it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. So you wrote a book, She Who Wins. I guess, what was your inspiration for the book? And give us kind of the basic premise. Yeah, so it is It is not a divorce book, surprisingly. Actually, my agent and I were initially going to pitch a divorce book, and I went back to her. I'm like, this isn't the book I want to write. I'm like, by the time we get to divorce, it's too late. Uh -huh. I'm like, I want to write a book taking all of the things that I've seen female clients go through, like worthiness issues, um, money issues, having, um, being afraid of having uncomfortable conversations, um, not knowing their worth or being afraid to speak it or being afraid to go after their dreams. Like all of these things that I've seen in clients over the years, I'm like, that's the book I want to write. Mm -hmm. And when I realized I started to think about it, I'm like, oh, I'm writing the book to my former self because I was like that good girl. I was the one who did all the things I was supposed to, you know, I colored in the lines. I didn't, well, I did speed. I always sped, but <laughs> you know, I, I followed all the rules except for that one. And so it was like, I was that person until I learned how to drop that until I learned how to say no, until I learned how to really communicate, um, no matter how uncomfortable it was. And so that was the inspiration for the book. And I realized I've, I've been a writer forever. Like that was the thing that I've always done in my life. And I've also a reader and I read a lot of self-help books and personal development books. And I wanted to write something different that almost read like a story as well. And my agent was like, take that storytelling and blend that into that personal development. And that's what I did. So it's definitely not a memoir, but it's storytelling. Some of the stories are mine. A lot of them are, but I think that they're stories that anyone can see themselves in. So, you know, I talk about everything in there from relationships and red flags and relationships to money, to worthiness to body issues to uh -huh. taking risk to rejection and it came out on september 5th and i'm super excited because we sold out at a couple different places and the publisher already um issued a second print run so oh congratulations that's huge. yeah it's super exciting because i i realized i'm like i just wanted to impact one reader and the messages that are coming in are just like you know giving me life so i love hearing from readers yeah, well, everyone should pick up a copy, but I wanted to chat with you a little bit about, you know, that 
good girl pressure and how people can break out of that. Yeah. So it's first acknowledging that the life that we live and the decisions that we make and the choices that we make are hours and hours alone. And I think that so many women do things or don't do things because they're afraid about what other people are going to think, or they're doing what they think they're supposed to, or they have mom guilt mm -hmm. or whatever guilt of they're not being enough to everyone. So it's first like recognizing like, wait a second, at some point I can't do it all for everyone. And I have to start to prioritize what matters to me to figure out how to bring joy back in my life. And in the book, I teach a framework to teach women how to get really clear on what it is that they want, which is often the easy part. But then the next one is how to drop those excuses that prevent them from going at it. Because most people get stuck in that excuse section mm -hmm. because those excuses, they'll say, I'll do it when I have more time, when I lose 10 pounds, when the kids are older, when I save more, like all of the excuses of why they're not living their life right now. And then the third part of course is like, we can think and want and dream all that we want, but we have to take action. So it's all about strategy and it's how to put something into place so that, that you're not stuck in this place of stagnation six months from now or a year from now, because even the smallest step forward is still movement. No matter what it looks like on the other side, no matter, you know, if you had that plot twist and it didn't end up the way you expected, you still are moving from that place of stagnation and you'll always win on that other side. Yeah. And it's kind of what we talked about at the beginning, just like owning all the parts of yeah. you that you maybe aren't the most proud mm -hmm. of, but still, still a part of you. So one last thing is I saw that you're the co-founder of a platform for tarot readers called the Tarot yeah. Bridge. And I was like, oh, that's so fun. How did you get into tarot? <laughs> so it's so funny. I'm not a reader. I have a good friend of mine who has been reading for 40 years. I've known her forever and she is a reader and she's a very, very good one. And she was so sick of seeing that industry be filled with like really scammy, like California psychic stuff. Like they try to keep <laughs> you on the, the phone for like five minutes and like you're paying by the minute and you yeah. don't know what you're getting. And she's like, I'm sick of it. She goes, because there's integrity in this industry. And there are readers who are really good, who want to help people validate what they feel and make decisions. And they're doing it from a really authentic place. She goes, I want to create a platform like that. And I was like, I'm in, let's do this. So I decided to throw my hat into the technology world and learned how to um, launch a technology platform. So we are still, we're about six months out from our, when, since we launched, and we have readers that she has personally vetted um, so that she ha knows that they are top notch and you don't pay by the minute. And it's super fun to do something totally different than anything like I've done before. So I put on my marketing hat. I'm like in the back. I'm like, I don't have to be the face of it. So it's it's been fun for me. Awesome. Well, this has been great. Is there anything else that you would like to leave our listeners with? Just, you know, whatever it is that is living inside of you, like whatever the dream you keep putting on hold that feels too risky, go for it. Like you will never regret taking the risk, no matter how scary it is, like it will all, you will land on your feet, even though it might be bumpy and you know, you might have some bruises along the way, but I don't think you'll ever regret going for something that if you can dream it and you can think it, then you can do it. Awesome. Thank you so much. 
Thanks again to Renee. I think information like this can help you go into marriage with your eyes wide open and help you avoid a messy divorce to begin with. And thanks for tuning into this episode of Private Parts Unknown. Stay tuned right here because I've got another sexy episode coming your way next week. For the latest episodes, look down and make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast player now. If you are listening on Spotify, it's like a follow button and a bell button. And on a lot of platforms, it's like a follow or a subscribe. To stay in touch between episodes, follow me at Courtney Kosak. That is K-O-C-A-K on Instagram and Twitter. And follow the show at Private Parts Unknown on Instagram and at Private Parts Un on Twitter. And privates, I am shamelessly trying to hit the top 1% on OnlyFans always and forever. So if you are interested in a Playboy-style peek behind the podcast, you can subscribe to my OnlyFans account. It's OnlyFans.com slash Coco Peep Show. It's a really horny way to help support the show. So again, if you're interested, join me on OnlyFans. It's OnlyFans.com slash Coco Peep Show. And of course, subscribe to our newsletter at privatepartsunknown.substack.com. There is a link in the episode description. And subscribe to the Private Parts Unknown YouTube channel for the video version of a bunch of episodes from our back catalog. It is youtube.com slash privatepartsunknown. That's youtube.com slash privatepartsunknown. And check out my other podcasts for more of my audio creations. I have The Bleeders about book writing and publishing and Podcast Bestie, which is a best friend to podcasters trying to grow and monetize their shows. Shout out to Amy Rausch for the bomb-ass theme music. For more info about Amy and her music, check out amyrausch.com. That's Amy, R-A-A-S-C-H.com. This episode was mixed by my beloved audio guy, Michael Castaneda of Plastic Audio. And after enjoying this content, could we ask you for a quick favor? Just go to ratethispodcast.com slash private and give us a five-star rating and review. We are currently trying to hit some rating and review goals, and y'all have seriously hooked it up on Spotify. You just helped us surpass 130 ratings on Spotify. We are now up to 131. So let's get to 140, okay? If we could get to 140 by the end of the year, that would be amazing. So if you are listening on Spotify, you just go to the upper left-hand corner of our page, click the star button, and then click all five stars. On Apple Podcasts, you guys have also helped us out recently. We are up to 277 ratings. We would love to get to 280. Let's just get to 280, okay? We've been kind of stuck in the 270s for a long time. So if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and a review. We got a new review from Wafist Method, and it says, hey, you, Shazam. And you know what? I love any rating, and I will take a Shazam any day of the week. So... You can help us reach our rating and review goals no matter where you are listening by going to ratethispodcast.com slash private and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And hey, one more thing. There is another way you can help support the show. We are now on the Fountain app. So if you are listening on Fountain or another v for v platform and you get value from this show, you can support us by sending a Boostagram. 
And you can even send a comment along with your boost. And I have to say, those are my favorite messages to get because they come with money. So I just want to shout out some awesome recent supporters. Pretty Jazzed, a Castomatic has supported us with over 3,000 sats. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. MNFTS at Podverse supported us with 550 sats and I am so grateful. So again, if you are listening on Fountain or another V4V platform, you can send us a boostergram, you can send us some sats for streaming and we are so, so grateful. Thank you so much for sticking with me until the end. Until next time, stay curious and keep exploring. Love you privates.